John chapter 10 this morning. And we're gonna be, uh, we're gonna be looking at just a couple of, of verses, but I wanna tell you, this is one of those spots in scripture where the transition between chapters and the way that chapters and verses are broken down can be a little bit tricky. You gotta really be paying attention because it feels like a break where there's really not quite uh, a break. And in chapter 10, we're gonna be hearing Jesus talk about being the good shepherd. But if you go back into chapter nine, what you're gonna find is you're gonna find a story about a man who is born blind and has been, has been blind uh, since birth. So go to the left just really quick. We're gonna venture into chapter nine here for just a second. And I'm gonna do a lot of summary and then read a couple of things before we get into chapter uh, 10. So in, in John chapter nine, again, Jesus encounters this man. The scripture tells us that he has been blind since birth. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples, ask Jesus why this is. And they basically say, okay, is this because of sin? Like what, what is the reason why he is this way? And Jesus says, no, that this isn't because of, of sin, but this man's blindness is gonna be the very place from which God glorifies himself. I think it's a good spot to kind of stop and, and realize that so often the things that uh, the, the world sees, the world looks on it sees and sees, the things that we look at ourselves and see as reasons for shame or rejection, those places are very often the very places where God wants to display himself the most mightily. And that certainly is the case here with this man. So we, they had this strange encounter where Jesus spits on the ground. He speaks to the man and he, and, he, and he spits on the ground and he makes this concoction of mud and he wipes it on the guy's eyes and then he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he does, the man sees it's a strange and extraordinary and miraculous moment where Jesus literally bring, brings sight to the blind. But you better believe that this stirs up the Pharisees. They are already a little sketched out by Jesus, not quite sure what he's up to. He really feels like a threat and seems to be doing things all the wrong way. So this stirs up division. And the rest of chapter nine reads like this kind of CSI in scripture, right? They're gonna figure out, I don't know, I, I don't even watch the show, but I, I think it's an, right? It's a detective show, right? Give me an, okay, okay, I'm culturally relevant, okay? You're like, CSI was 1994, bro. <laughs> okay. The point is, there's an investigation that begins. And the Pharisees want to know, who is this that has performed this miracle? Because they know the guy that's been born blind. And did he do it legally? Meaning, did he do it within the bounds of law? And if it was Jesus, we've got a whole other thing to say. So they even go, they question him. They go ask his parents what happened. You know, they, they're trying to figure this out. And his parents go, I don't know. I mean, ask him. He's the one that you already talked to. And they, so they bring him back in. And there's this whole back and forth dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees. It kind of ends this way. I want to read this to you. Go to uh, verse 30 of chapter 9. So they're questioning him, and here's what the man says. He says, uh, why? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know 
that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. I love that because their question about him was, okay, you must be a sinner if you've been born blind. And he goes, well, actually, God doesn't listen to sinners and he listened to me because I can see. <laughs> right? I lo- I just, okay, little, love that. He says in verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him. And listen to the, the, the tone that is built in here. You were born in utter sin and you would teach us. It says, and they cast him out. A man that's standing before them, having been blind and now sees and testifies to the fact that it was this man from God that I have seen. And they want to say, oh, but you are born in utter sin and you would teach us about about the things of God. Looking at the things of God, they would say, you would teach us about the things of God. And they cast him out. It's a really interesting look into the heart of religious legalism. That's not where we're gonna camp out this morning. They cast him out. He becomes an outcast. Listen to what happens after he's cast out. So Jesus hears about it. Jesus hears that he's been driven out. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now we're tempted right there to stop and go, wow, powerful story. But in John chapter 10, it continues. And John has this interesting pattern of, and it's in other places in this gospel, but it's the, it's the pattern of a healing miracle a little bit of dialogue between the characters in the story. And then right after that dialogue, there's a discourse by Jesus. So, so there's healing, dialogue, and then teaching on what has happened. And that's exactly what happens between John chapter 9 and John chapter 10. So going into John chapter 10, Jesus, looking on what has happened and the dialogue that is taking place, begins his discourse. So here's what we have to have in mind as we read John chapter 10. We have to have in mind the specific situation of the man being born blind, healed, and being cast out and then sought out by Jesus. You tracking? We hadn't, we're not to the text yet, so we need to be tracking to this point. You ready? Come on, church. Okay. Now, John chapter 10. Let's read verse 1 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. 
The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So here's what he does in these first six verses is he establishes himself in opposition to the Pharisees as the true shepherd. So it's a commentary that he makes a comment here on the errant shepherding of the Pharisees who had set themselves up as the leader of God's people, as the ones who would say who's in and who's out. And he says, these are actually a poor version of what the true shepherd is actually supposed to be. And he points to himself as the true shepherd. And he says that the true shepherd goes out and gets his sheep by name. Now, if we ground that statement in chapter nine, I want you to think about where that places the sheep that Jesus is going out to get. Where had the man born blind and been healed just been placed? He had been driven where? He had been driven where? Out. (laughs) I know I've only been back for two weeks. We're gonna get this question and answer, right? They drove him out and then Jesus says, I know my, my, know my sheep and I go get them by name. The sheep that he's speaking of are those that have been cast out. They're the scattered ones, the disoriented ones, those that are homeless, that are wandering without a shepherd, that have been pushed aside by the religious systems, by the world's powers of the day. They are this flock that seemingly looks like they're displaced. And those are the ones, those driven out ones that Jesus says that he's gonna go get. By the way, others have tried to go get them, but Jesus says here that those that have tried to scatter those sheep, or I mean gather those sheep, are not the real shepherd. In fact, they flee from them because the true shepherd knows their name and they know his voice. But when the true shepherd calls, I love this, verse three says he calls them by name. That when Jesus goes out into the scattered places of the world, he goes out and calls his sheep by name. Now, this is really interesting because this was actually a normal and common practice amongst shepherds. Shepherds would be so in tune with their flock that they would literally know each sheep by name. And they would have unique names for each sheep and in many cases, unique calls by which they would call out to them. And that unique animal would know that its shepherd is speaking to it specifically. Just like when you call Fido and Fido comes running, right? That shepherds knew their sheep so individually and so uniquely, they literally knew them by name. And so our first point this morning is that when Jesus comes to rescue and redeem humanity, he goes out into the brokenness, out into the places where we are scattered and shamed and broken by sin. He goes out into those places, not with a random, okay, if anybody you know, wants to come, 
whoever wants to do this thing, that Jesus goes out into the darkness and calls us by name. He knows you and I so uniquely that when he pursues us, when he chases us down, he does so by name. He is literally coming for you and me. He knows each one of us. Now let's keep going in the text. Verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, we're gonna stop there. There's so much more there that we could say, but we're gonna stop there and focus on those verses. I want to turn your attention to verse nine. This is gonna kind of be where we're gonna really mine down for the rest of the morning. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be, and this is a word we need to pay attention to, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, I know that that word, if we were to throw that word out there, we might get a couple different renditions of what that means. But if we dive into the Greek and we stay grounded in the story that we've got right in front of us, what that word saved really is doing is it's talking about a present and continuing action, a present and continuing state of being. So being saved here is not talking about a moment where the sheep walks into the pen. Being saved is a condition that the sheep now exists in having walked in the pen. So it's a now and forever condition that belongs to the sheep having entered into the sheepfold by the door. You with me? That's what the word saved means here. So for the sheep in this text, being saved and coming into the pen, coming into the pen that is set up by the gate, that is what salvation, being saved, looks like here. It is a coming into this pen that is owned by the true shepherd. So what are we talking about here? Well, let's bring it back to this outsider sheep that's been called my name. Let's bring it, bring it back to this man that had been pushed to the margins, but then is rescued by Jesus. I want you to think about this. For the outsider, for the shamed, the rejected, being saved is a rescue from a place of isolation. In sin, we are in a place of isolation out there, outside of the fold, wandering and fumbling around in the darkness. And here, Jesus says that I go out into that place where they are alone and isolated, and I save my sheep by bringing them into a place of belonging and a place of ownership. They're literally brought into a family where there is a shepherd who knows and cares for and protects the sheep. 
So the definition of salvation here is being brought from the outside and the isolation and the darkness into a place where the shepherd knows that sheep by name, where that sheep is connected to the rest of the fold, where that sheep is tended to, cared for, and protected. And that is not a one-time thing. It's a present and continuing state for that animal. Smile. We're the sheep. Are you with me? For the man born blind, what happened to him in, in cultural and, and social terms when he met Jesus? What happened? He was rejected. For the claim that Jesus healed him, that Jesus was from God, he was rejected and pushed to the margins. But what happened when he met Jesus? Jesus went out into the margins, called him by name, the man worshiped him and Jesus brought him into the place where he really belonged. Come on. What I want to say to us this morning as our second point is that the foundation of our identity, identity meaning who we are, the foundation of our identity is that we belong to Jesus. Now, don't, don't let, look, if you've been in church a long time, you're like, oh, that sounds very sweet. We belong to Jesus, also kumbaya, you know? Don't do that. Don't do that. I want you to think about the weight of what I just said. The foundation of our identity is that we belong to Jesus. That we're the same as that sheep that was out in isolation and brokenness and in sin. And that we've been called by name and led in. And now we belong. We go from a place of the outside to now being inside. And that inside place being a place that is overseen by the true shepherd. Now, to my right here, I, I don't know if you guys were here last week. If you were here last week and saw me chop wood, I have been working um, all week on that wood that I chopped to shave it down and, and perfectly sculpt it into uh, Jenga. <laughs> Raise your hand if you believe me. <laughs> yeah, what's up? Okay, I love that. You got the benefit of the doubt for me. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. I got a Jenga blocks and they were already done, right? But this is a game we play a lot at our house and it gets really competitive. <laughs> If you know anything about this, this is the game Jenga. And here's the deal, here's the idea. I've got kind of a before and after for you. And um, kids, you guys have Jenga blocks in your bag. And so literally this is as many as I could find that weren't already in your bag. So uh, kids, that's just to help you remember what we talked about. So this is a little bit of a short Jenga stack, but uh, the kids have the rest. So this is kind of the way that it starts. This is the way you set the game up. And the idea is that you take turns with whoever's in the game. And what you've got to try to do is you've got to try to take a block from within the stack. And then you've got to move that block up to the top. And what you do is as you go and as you take turns, it starts to look more and more and more like this. And the game goes, and you can read the instructions on the back of the box. Um, but you put the last one on or whatever ends up being the last one. And the idea is that this structure has become so destabilized that now it can hold no more weight. It has no more balance. And you put that last block on and it spills everywhere, which we're maybe gonna do here in just a minute. And it's like, oh, okay, you lose, right? And so Jenga, instead of there being one winner, there's just one loser. It's a great family game, okay? 
here's what I want you to see. Just like, I just want you to look at this. I want you to see. When you destabilize the foundation, everything else is on shaky ground. When you start to destabilize, if you look here, look how stable this structure is. When you start to peel blocks out from the foundation of this structure, the base, the foundation starts to get destabilized. It doesn't have the balance it needs. And then what happens is as it builds up and up and up, it can no longer hold what's put on top of it. And so much, I want you to hear this this morning because every one of us is battling this in different ways, but so much of spiritual warfare is aimed at the concept of identity. So much of the battle that you and I face, and listen, when I'm talking about spiritual warfare, at the core, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about a battle between what is true and what is not true. And that battleground is in our minds where the enemies and the principalities of darkness are at war so that you would believe in your mind and in your heart what is not true and what is contrary to God's word. And if that happens, if you start to believe what is not true, you will live from it. And in the same way, if we will get into our hearts from God's word, from the power of his spirit, what is true about who we are, we will also live from that. So most of spiritual warfare is about what do you believe about God and what do you believe about you, which forms the basis and foundation of your identity. And most of spiritual warfare is aimed, listen to me, right there at the foundation. Right there at the foundation, at the place we're talking about today, belonging. I wanna read you just a few things. And here's all I did. I literally just like, okay, what is in my mind? What have I memorized? Just quick scan through the scriptures. And I went, okay, what truths are associated with belonging? Just as fast as I can. So it's kind of random, just off the top of my mind. This is a tiny sample size, tiny. You hear me? Here's what's connected to belonging in the scripture. According to scripture, if I belong to Christ, then nothing can separate me from his love if I belong. Then nothing can separate me from his love. If I belong to Christ, then everything in my life works together for the good of his glory. The pain and the suffering and the hard things included, all of it then gets to be repackaged for the good of his glory if I belong to him. If I belong to him, then my weakness Can I say amen to the fact that I have many? Anybody else in the house armed with weaknesses this morning? No, y'all are good, okay. My weakness, if I belong to him, is a place of strength. If I belong to him, then I have access to a joy unspeakable. If I belong to him, then I have an eternal promised inheritance that nothing that happens circumstantially can take away. If I belong to him, then I am not a slave to my emotions and the passions of my flesh. If I belong to him, I am no longer enslaved to sin, but I'm free. 
That's the random. Like, I mean, just, and, and here's what I want to ask you. Think about how many battles that we face. Think about just your last week. How many battles did you face that went on here and here that coincided with that tiny little sample size that I just read you? You with me? How many thoughts did you have this last week that coincided with the truth that I just read over you is according to God's word. And all of those things I just read to you, that joy unspeakable, that promised inheritance, that freedom from sin, all that stuff is built onto the fact that I belong to Jesus. All of that comes because I belong to him. I want you to think of identity as a multi-layered concept. Here, we've got a lot of different layers, right? There's layer on layer on layer on layer. And I want you to think about belonging to him as this very base layer. There's all sorts of things that we can talk about when we talk about identity. The scripture says that God formed you in your mother's womb, that he knew you before you were born and that he has a unique purpose for you, that you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So like, this is a massive, intricate deal that God has uniquely crafted you and shaped you for his purposes. And all of that exists in these upper layers. But all of that is built on top of the fact, look at me, that at the very bottom, you belong. None of it is true. None of it comes to fruition unless we belong to him. Now, I want to ask you, which of these blocks would you like me to continue, or these sets would you like me to continue to build on? Which one of these is capable of holding a life? Which one? This is an extra one, so somebody can have this one. <laughs> which one? See, because the one, I'm gonna start here because it's gonna get ugly, but that is capable of holding a life. A life built on that solid foundation of belonging, whatever comes on top of that foundation is able to be held. You see, when the foundation is set and secure that what comes onto that life can be withstood. You ready? I'm gonna to try to catch it, but I don't know. <laughs> what about this one? Oh, I just bumped the table. What about this one? Is, is, is this able to hold the weight of something else on top of it? Or, or because it's been so destabilized at the very, very, very core, because belonging to Jesus is so lost and foreign and distant that there's nothing else that can be built on top without a crash. And that's what happens to us. We move so quickly away from the simple truth of scripture because we go, okay, I got that, Sunday school, I belong to Jesus. But we forget how crucial and vital that is every single day to remind ourselves that nothing that, that comes on top of that foundation can be shaken. If I had good balance, I could stand on it. I don't and I won't. <laughs> now, that we've done nothing to deserve this belonging. But it is by God's grace that he has come into the darkness of our sin and shame, that he's called us by name and that he has brought us into his fold, his care, his family. The man born blind is no different. He was simply a recipient. 
by the good shepherd, rescued. I belong because I was sought out and rescued by the good shepherd. Now, I wanna turn your attention to the last thing and this is where we'll close. Verse nine says something else. It tells us about what the sheep are doing. Go back to verse nine. It first of all says that if anyone enters, they'll be saved. And then look at this. And will go in and out and find pasture. Now, Jesus is intending here to paint a very, very, very clear picture. He is meaning in these words to fill our imaginations with a very rooted and grounded concept, which was sheep and shepherds. And here's what he describes. And I want you to do this. I, I, I know, how many shepherds in the room? Okay, good. A few of you? Any shepherd neighbors are like, okay, just do whatever you can to imagine. <laughs> I want you to pause for just a second and let that scene fill your imagination. Look, he brings the sheep into the fold. He will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Let's just think about what that might look like. Think about that scene. Let your minds fill with the picture of a quiet but strong and sturdy shepherd with his eye on every single detail and the sheep in that fold being completely at peace. Completely at peace because they belong to that shepherd. And because they're at peace, their peace and belonging informs their action. Because they belong to that shepherd, they're at peace and go in and out and find pasture. They do what they were naturally created to do. And they do so in the context of peace and security. How many of you would like for that to describe your life? I just want to tell you this morning that what you were naturally created to do was to glorify God. Sin has disrupted that and muddied that picture and broken it down so much so that sometimes it's hard to see and believe. But what you were naturally created to do, what God intended for your life is that you would glorify him by being his own and naturally reflecting the image of his son. That's what you were created for. But again, that's become so broken and lost in sin and in isolation. But I want, you, I want you to see is that when the good shepherd goes out and rescues the sheep and gives them a place to belong, gives them that foundation of identity, then all of their action comes from who they are. Come on. The way they act comes from who they are and who they belong to. That's intended to be the story of our life. Jesus says here, life abundant. Their actions come from their identity. And our final point this morning is that the abundant life, which Jesus said that he came to give us, is one in which we're at peace. One in which we are free to be fully alive as God created us to be. And we are only able to live in this way because we belong to him. Belonging is the foundation of identity. Now, 
I wanna go to a time of invitation. And if that time calls you to come and spend any time up here, there are now uh, some landmines up here that you need to just be careful of, all right? So don't bend your knee on a Jenga block uh, or it'll hurt. (laughs) But I want you to stand with me. And I want you to just ask this question. Does the image that filled your mind when I read about the sheep going in and out and finding pasture, does that describe the state of your life? That's a hard question. Does that describe the state of your life? Would you look at the the image of the sheep going in and and out, finding pasture? Not without threat, not without things that are looming around that could be difficult. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about an absence of difficulty, but what we're talking about is we're talking about sheep that belong to a shepherd and because they belong, because they are his and trusting that they are at peace, moving in and out, finding pasture, doing what they were naturally created to do. Does that look anything like your life? Are you at peace? Are you living from a sense of belonging to Jesus? And I think many times as Christians, we disconnect from the truth of who we are, don't we? Don't we? I'm guilty. We disconnect from the reality that I am his, and if I am his, then I'm not to be worried, I'm not to be anxious, that I can be at peace, I can live full of joy, as I am his. The truth of being his doesn't change, but we disconnect to it and we start to build on our life on that shaky foundation. And maybe today is literally just a day where you need to remind yourself of who you belong to. And maybe today is is literally a day where you just need to sit down while we sing and take a deep breath in and go, God, thank you that I am yours. Remind me of the truth of what that means. Maybe you're like the man born blind that's been cast out. Maybe you're kind of out on those fringes in isolation, in guilt and shame, in darkness, wandering, not quite belonging. Maybe this morning what's happening to you is you're hearing that strange voice, that familiar yet very unfamiliar voice, that voice of the good shepherd that's come out into the darkness and he's calling you by name. There's a familiarity to it because he knows you. (laughs) He's speaking to you from the inside as if he knows you because he does, because it's your creator God that loves you. And his voice, what's happening this morning is that his voice is piercing through all that isolation and guilt and shame, all that brokenness, all that failure, all that junk. His voice is getting through it like The word of God says that it will, that it'll pierce all the way through. And you're hearing him speak to you this morning because he has a great love for you. And he has come for your rescue. Maybe this morning for you, you need to be rescued. You need to allow that good shepherd to take you into the fold. You need to place your faith and your trust in Jesus and come in by that door of the good shepherd and have life and life abundantly. If that's you this morning, I wanna be very specific. 
I want you to go out these double doors. There will be uh, people in this hallway here uh, waiting to pray with you, to walk that through with you. This morning as we sing, I wanna just thank God for his rescue, that we belong to him, that we are safe in him, and that we have life in him. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each one of us as we have need? God, I pray for those who are hearing your voice calling out into the darkness. I pray that we would be ready to lay our lives down, to repent and believe on you, to allow ourselves to be rescued. And God, I know that there are many of us in this room because I'm so often in the very same place. I just need to remember who I am in you. I get so busy going about other things that I forget that I belong to you. God, would you remind us of what it means that you have sought us out, that you have made us your own, that you have called us by name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.